0: I'm about ready to preach a message today that needs a little bit of, uh, I don't know, warning. Uh, I don't know, this is where the PG-17 comes up, and it's not, that, not concerning that. It's just that it's a very serious subject matter today. One that I know produces, it tends to produce more guilt in people than it's intended to. Uh, we're going to be talking about forgiveness and reconciliation today. And I don't know of anybody who hasn't had an experience where they needed to forgive somebody for a hurt, or needed forgiveness from somebody that they have hurt. And then the whole other gambit of reconciliation, well, I'll explain to you today, which is the goal. That is the goal. That is the highest calling of God's people is to reconcile with one another. We've been reconciled to God, therefore be reconciled to one another. But I say all this because I want you to know a couple of things. I do not want you to leave here today with an extra burden of guilt. If you're having a problem and a situation in life with somebody, a family member, or or maybe somebody who's hurt you in the past, I don't want you leaving today with a heavier burden than you had when you came. I just want to let you know that the Bible teaches us certain things, how we are supposed to live and respond. That is not meant to be a heavier burden for you. In God's time, I believe he will work in you and through you and in your situations. And with that being said, it's heavy on my heart that you know that if somebody has hurt you, I mean physically or sexually abused you, we as a church don't support that and don't say, well, you need to forgive them and just reconcile with them. No, if you've been injured, hurt, uh, molested in any way, you need to know that this should not be a message that produces any guilt on you whatsoever. And I want you to know, It could be easy for our church to be perceived as being led by a good old boys club. Men who are responsible for leadership. And it has been suggested that perhaps we wouldn't take serious if a woman came to us and let us know that they were being physically hurt or sexually abused. I want to let you know that there's nothing further from the truth. The men I served with are fathers and husbands. And we would take that very seriously. And we would never counsel a woman to go back into an abusive situation. Never. We would get them to safety. And you you as ladies need to know that. I apologize if, if it comes across as if we're just a bunch of men and we don't take things seriously when it comes to those situations. We do. It breaks my heart that that would ever be considered. Again, the men who serve here are are godly men and good men and husbands and fathers of girls. Most of us are father of girls. And so we do take that seriously. As a pastor, whenever anybody, a man or a woman, comes in and they're considering divorce, we, we ask certain questions and we try to get to the bottom of things. And then my typical response would be to reconcile that marriage. That would be my typical response. Again, I state, if a lady walks into my office and says, I'm being beaten or abused, we will get them to safety. We will remove them from that situation. So I want to make sure you, as a church, hear that today. Hear my heart. As we preach this message, this is God's highest idea for his people forgiveness and reconciliation. But it's a high calling, isn't it? It's difficult. And as we talk about this today, I'm specifically talking about the good and beautiful community. So I'm going to focus my attention on us as a body and how we need to forgive one another and how we need to reconcile if there are things that have gone wrong. that's going to be my focus. Many of you have relationships outside of this body with a parent maybe, and maybe that parent's now deceased and you feel like you can't reconcile because... There's no way to do that. Again, I don't want to take it into those categories, but I will let you know that on the soul training exercises that I've already set out for today, there's a whole section on how to forgive. There's no way in my short time that I can go through all of this, very deep and complex. So pray with me this morning, would you? Would you pray with me? Father God, if there's anything you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Father God, if there's anything that you want me to hear, I am willing to. To listen. God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this message be edified and may Satan be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in our series of the Good and Beautiful Design. Specifically, we're in the Good and Beautiful Community, following the Spirit, extending grace, demonstrating love. And the big idea today is we are a reconciling community. Uh, I don't know what your notes say on your, the gadget, if you've got the gadget. Uh, I did notice that the, the Thursdays or Saturdays email that went out had the big idea with It was a relapse from last week. It says, we are an reconciling community. That was incorrect. We are a reconciling community. Definitely understand to put the N if there's a vowel coming after. I understand all that. So it was just a mistake and a typo. I fixed those notes that are on the back. We are a reconciling community. Jesus is the pattern and power of forgiveness and reconciliation. If anything today, I hope you will leave knowing Jesus is that pattern. And he is the only power that we have to live that out. Our key verse is 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody say reconciliation. This is important because we we, we come to understand that the reason we are believers and followers of Christ is because we've been reconciled to God. First and foremost, we are reconciled people. The Bible makes it clear that before forgiveness of sins, we were enemies of God. Just plain and clear, we were enemies of God. I've told you over and over again, there's no sin that's going to enter into heaven. God is a holy God and a just God. Thankfully, that God is also a loving God, and he gave us Jesus. And through Jesus, he reconciled us to him. We'll explain what the word reconciliation means in just a moment. But then that verse goes on to say, and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. You can take that a couple of ways. I think it it can be meant to be taken a couple of ways. Number one, you can think of the ministry of reconciliation as the ministry of sharing the gospel. We, We need to share that with other people. You can be reconciled to God. That's a ministry of reconciliation. People can have peace with God. And that's a great ministry. Share the gospel. Share the good news. But it also can have in mind We live out a ministry of reconciliation. We are examples of this very thing. Since God reconciled us to himself through Christ, we must be reconciled to one another. We cannot be living in enmity. We cannot, and I'm talking about the good and beautiful community this morning once again. We should not be existing with enmity between one another as brothers and sisters, with strife. If anything like that exists, we should take care of that. The Bible makes it clear. Don't give your offering. Until you make it right with your brother or sister, don't come to the table of communion. If you have something wrong with your brother or sister, make things right. That's the ministry of reconciliation. I I do believe it's twofold. Share the gospel that you can be reconciled to God and also live it out in your relationships with one another. Are you with me? Say yes, PD. So the false narrative this morning is forgiveness and reconciliation are the same. It's a false narrative. They're not the same. And both are impossible. While I will admit this morning they are very difficult, and it can be one of the hardest things you ever go through, it's not impossible to experience forgiveness and eventually reconciliation with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I understand there's no hurt like a church hurt. Oh, We hear it all the time, people that were wounded at a church and they, they, they have trust issues. They, they tend to not want to get involved in another church. Church hurts are the worst hurts. It's, it's like the deepest hurt. It's like being harmed by somebody you trusted to take care of you. It, it hurts. And so while I know that's true, I believe that this is a false narrative we've got to wipe out. Forgiveness and reconciliation are the same, and both are impossible. That's not true. Let's go through the definitions real quick this morning. Forgiveness, to wipe the slate clean. To pardon, everybody say pardon. Pardon. To cancel a debt. See, I love scripture that teaches us that Christ on the cross canceled the debt of our sins. The Bible indicates that there was a list there that day, a hidden list between the cross and the nail and Jesus' hand, his wrist. He was nailed to the cross and the Bible says that there was a list there of your indebtedness. And his blood flew over that and washed it away. If you have asked for forgiveness, you have been pardoned. I love that word. To cancel a debt, to wipe the slate clean. When it comes to our relationship with one another, it also is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. And that's hard. When we come down to it honestly, that's really what we hold on to. Is it was when somebody has wronged me, I feel like I have the right then to hurt them back. Or at least to let them know how much they hurt me, and then that way I, they should hurt. <laughs> Giving up my right to hurt you. It's an act of love. Everybody say love. <laughs> Mercy and grace. Love is a selfless, willing sacrifice for the good of another person even if they don't deserve it and not expecting anything in return forgiveness and love go hand in hand forgiveness and love go hand in hand we're a church that states in our motto guided by grace guided by grace and i've often told you out of all the things in our motto that one's the most difficult grounded in faith woo we can do that going in love we can do that guided by grace that's hard guided by grace offering forgiveness even if we're hurt. So what does the Bible say? The Bible says we forgive because we have been forgiven by God. Ephesians 4:32 it says this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We forgive because we've been forgiven. It's a simple principle. Ephesians makes that clear. We forgive in obedience to God. This is an issue of obedience. And again, I recognize that it's difficult to forgive when you've been hurt. But we forgive because it's an act of obedience. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I almost didn't use that verse because I don't like it. (laughs) Have you ever done that? I mean, any of you preached a message lately and got a verse and said, I think I'm just not going to read that one. No, I guess I'm the only one that preaches around here. I I struggle with this because I know when we read it, we look at it and say, ooh, we got to earn forgiveness. In some way, this really looks like I do something in order to be, and and it's far from theological correct. And again, the heart of the way this is written does not mean a quid pro quo. Well, I haven't heard that for a while, but a good quid pro quo here, you do this, God does this. It's simply in the eyes of a holy God who forgave us for so much, is unfathomable that his people who are forgiven would not forgive. And, And it seems to indicate that those who cannot forgive maybe have not truly experienced forgiveness. So my take on this is, have you experienced the forgiveness of God? Simple and True. It doesn't mean you'll be automatically perfect at forgiving others, but only those who have been truly forgiven can begin in their hearts to work toward forgiveness. Romans 12, 18, before I move on. Romans twelve eighteen. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And this is where I say the Bible does indicate here it takes two to tango, right? It, does, it takes two for there to be a problem in a relationship. And the Bible does say as far as it depends on you. So forgiveness, reconciliation. It takes two. I understand that. And, and the problem that I've experienced in my 52 years of life living in church life is, more often than not, I don't see reconciliation. I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've seen biblical reconciliation happen. You know what I can name a 100 of? People bail. People leave the church. I don't like them, they hurt me, I'm out of here. And they only go to another church to repeat the same thing again. And our churches are full of people like a revolving door, hurts, anger, hurts, anger. Can I just tell you, hurt people, hurt people. Did you catch that little nuance there? Hurt people, hurt people. And so we are living in a family and a community where this is an important message, but it's hard. I recognize it's hard. We forgive others to gain control of our lives from hurt emotions. So important. Genesis 4, 1 through 8, this narrative is is very, right from the get-go of the scripture, 1 through 8, go back one more. No, it's, there we go, right there. Okay, I see, it's chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth. We didn't really need to know all that. That's how kids happen. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks. Cain kept soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Next. Next. But you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And you know what happens out in the field. Well, looking at this, this narrative, it's very clear that Cain had an opportunity to, to not go there. The, the Lord asked him, what, why are you upset? Isn't it, maybe not in the time of COVID when we have masks on. But it isn't very telling when you look at somebody, they're upset. You guys have seen my smiley face mask, right? I was just sharing with Ms. Michel today. You know, I wear my smiley mask everywhere I go. And there's been times at stores when people have made me mad. I wanted to take it off and go, oh, yeah? Oh. I just, I'm tempted from time to time to show them the frowny side. You know when somebody's angry. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? In the body of Christ, the community here, the family at Oakwood, it shouldn't be a place where we come hangry, The Bible says get a hold of that before it gets a hold of you. That's what God told Cain. You better get a hold of this. Strong warning. You must rule over it. Last week I said it. I've said it many times. Don't don't be guided by your heart. Guide your heart. Your heart will lead you into all sorts of trouble. And when it comes to hurt, that is definitely true. The next thing is we forgive so we won't become bitter and defile those around us. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So to, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I've seen it in churches bitterness starts to grow. There's a faction, there's a problem, there's an anger, and bitterness starts to grow. And the Bible says the next step is it defiles many. See, we're a community of grace and we're called to be different than that. Because we are the forgiven ones, we ought to practice forgiveness and not allow this to separate us. I am not telling you that you're going to have an easy time living with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It, It is going to be difficult. We will do things to each other that are disappointing. We will say things that hurt. Our actions will be misperceived. And we've seen that in the time of coronavirus and then into the elections. People are so full to the top that if they get nudged just the wrong way, we spill out of anger. And we've just seen tensions frayed, raw nerves. And it's a test for us as a community. How will we respond? forgiveness forgiveness reconciliation is what we're called to so that's what the Bible says about forgiveness that's something that you can do by the way forgiveness is something that you can do and it doesn't take the other person you're like but what if they don't ask for well we'll talk about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation I think too many times Christians have lumped them into one thing and they're not If somebody has harmed you or you've lived a whole life and maybe somebody in their family has been a a problem and it tortured you and then they're gone and they're dead, you can forgive that person. Forgiveness is a choice you make. It's something you offer and give. Reconciliation is different. Reconciliation and forgiveness are not the same. Reconciliation is the restoration of broken relationships. If you had a father who was awful to you, and he's long gone, you might not be able to reconciliate that relationship, but you can still forgive him and move on. Reconciliation happens between people when there's a broken relationship. But it, it's a process, and sometimes a lengthy one. Can I tell you, forgiveness can happen Reconciliation happens over time and sometimes over a long period of time. And that's honest, but reconciliation takes time. Forgiveness can happen. Remember my whole message about forgiveness with the ropes? And each of you had a little rope section. Bill Miller built my cool uh, bell tower over here, and we dinged the bell. Remember I gave the whole message and talked about the meaning of of pulling that rope? When we're angry at somebody, we're constantly pulling on that rope, and we're dinging the bell, we're dinging the bell. We're feeling the pain over and over again. But when it comes down to it, you're the ding-dong. Quit pulling the rope. At some point, you got to let go. (laughs) That's when you offer forgiveness. Now, if there's a problem in a relationship, it might take time for healing. We'll walk through that today. Reconciliation is often conditioned on the attitude and the action of the offender. This is where it comes into play that the other person uh, might totally not be in a place Where they want this relationship restored. Maybe they're perfectly happy being abusive to you. Maybe that's where they are at. Well, you might not be able to be reconciled as far as it depends on you. But you can offer forgiveness in your heart and not have a root of bitterness destroy you from the inside out. A lack of forgiveness is that one thing that harms you, not the other person. But reconciliation is different. What does the Bible say about reconciliation? Reconciliation begins with God. And I want to go to a context, and you need to turn there with me. Just open your Bibles or get your gadget over to Genesis 32. I want to use this story. Jacob and Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau? I just want to talk about those two boys today. Right from the get-go, they came out twins. Born twins. And the Bible seems to indicate they were fighting inside of their mother's womb. Remember that? One came out, and they had, his hand was on his brother's leg. You remember, remember that whole story? They were, they were quarreling brothers. And they were, they were born, by the way, into a really, really whacked out family. The Bible says that dad really liked Esau, because Esau was hairy and manly and loved the outdoors, right? And mom loved Jacob, because he was a good cook. And the Bible seems to indicate that there's nothing wrong with that. Can we go there this morning? Can I get an Amen. Not all men have to be hairy and out in the woods hunting. We got some probably hunting widows with us this morning. You're probably like, I wish my husband wasn't so hairy and hunting. But that's okay. If, if you're into that, men, and you want to go out in the woods and hunt, that's fine. And women, if you're into that, you want to get hairy and go hunting. That's fine too. You know what? The Bible, isn't it interesting? In Genesis, the Bible doesn't have issues like this with gender. Isn't not it? Isn't it interesting when you read this? The Bible says that Jacob was loved by his mama because he was a homeboy. And Esau was loved by dad because he was a hunting outdoor man. And it was dysfunctional from there on. We know that Jacob stole Esau's birthright. You remember that whole story? And it was mom. Mom actually triggered this. Can you believe it? Mom's like, here, you go put on this hairy arm stuff and, and we'll make you smell like a hunter. And, and we'll, your dad's eyesight's really bad. I mean, this is, this is awful, wicked deceivery, Right? Hey, I face this sometime when Julie and Josh gang up on me, and they're out to get me. They do this to me all the time. Uh, but this dysfunctional family. So Jacob goes with his fake fur and, and gives his dad some stew that apparently he had hunted, and he didn't. He had just made a really good stew. And, and his dad feels the fur. can't see who it is. He, he thinks it's Esau, but he knows it sounds like Jacob, but they're deceived, and then the birthright stolen. And oh my goodness, there's anger. Esau wants to kill his brother, the Bible says. Then you got Jacob. He gets what he deserves. He goes off and he's on his own now for many, many years. And what does he run into? More relatives. And they're skunkier than the rest of them. He runs into Laban. Laban, his uncle, tricks him, makes him marry the other daughter. Remember that whole story, right? Jacob works for seven years for this beautiful Rachel, right? And then he ends up with Leah. Ah, this is awful. This, this whole story, you gotta read it. If I can just encourage you to do one thing, read the story of Jacob and Esau from beginning to end. There's nothing but anger and hatred. And, and then we come to Genesis 32, and there's gonna finally be a reunion. These two have grown now. they has been many, many years. Last Jacob heard Esau was gonna kill him, and they are gonna meet. Jacob sees a, an opening where he needs to reconcile with his brother. I want to read the whole context of this and we'll go back and make some points. Genesis 32, 1 through 12. So now we're older and all the stuff has gone under the bridge, but Jacob also went on his way and the angel of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant, Jacob, says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my lord that I might find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we, want, we went to your brother Esau, and he's now coming to meet you with 400 men. Uh-oh. Stop there for a second. Jacob's hoping for some kind of forgiveness and reconciliation. He knows he's done wrong. Lord took him through a bunch of skunky people to realize how much of a skunk he is. The word Jacob means deceiver, by the way. His own name is, can you imagine that? Deceiver, come in for dinner. I mean, he was born with this rap. And now he's about ready to meet his brother. And he, he, he sends... Like a peace offering. He sends all this stuff ahead to meet Esau. He says, give this to him. Maybe he'll calm him down because he's going to kill me. He said he's going to kill me. He sends his messengers. They give the gift. They come back. He said, Esau's coming. He's got 400 guys. Oh. When the messengers returned, they told him he's got 400 guys in verse 7. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him in two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the other group can run away. Then Jacob prayed, O God, my father of Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country, to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am worthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me. And also the mothers with their children. But you, you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. We'll get there in just a moment, but I love this prayer. It is so raw and it's so manipulative. (laughs) It is. Jacob said, With then, Esau's coming. He's got 400 guys. He's pretty sure he's going to die. And he goes to God and said, God, you promised you would take care of me. God, you promised you would prosper me. Don't let him kill me. That's what Esau, that's what Jacob's saying here. Let's go to the end of the story in chapter 33, Genesis 33. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and the children in front, Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, these are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children bowed down. Last of all, Rachel and Joseph, they too bowed down. Esau asked, what's the meaning of this flocks and herds you sent to me? Well, it's to find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, Jacob said. I have found favor. If I found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you've received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. Because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. I love this story. I love this story because it it doesn't hide the flaws of Jacob. It doesn't say Jacob was this perfect guy. No, he was manipulative to the end. Even in the last minute prayer, he's trying to manipulate God to do his bidding. But there's reconciliation and forgiveness here. One of my favorite parts of the verse is that Jacob says, now that I've seen your face and it's like the face of God, that's The difference between bitterness and forgiveness. Remember how we talked about the face? You can see it on people's face when they're upset. To Jacob, when he saw Esau that had forgiven him, it was like he had the face of an angel. The countenance changes. Everything about you changes when forgiveness is there and reconciliation is available. In chapter 32, reconciliation begins with God. It's very interesting. The angels came and met with Jacob before all this happened. I wish I knew what they had told him. I'm sure there was some prep work that had to be done in his life. And the angels met with him first. Reconciliation must be intentional. I like that Jacob set out and he had a plan. Here's what we're going to do. Yes, it was manipulative, but it was a plan. We're going to have two groups. That way he'd kill one. Others would get away. And and I tell you, we're going to send a bunch of goats and camels and stuff, and hopefully he'll, he'll calm down. He had a plan. It was intentional. He thought it through. Reconciliation must be bathed in prayer. That's when he went to God, and he's like, God, you better help. Reconciliation demands humility. I like that Jacob ran to Esau and he bowed down seven times. When you've done somebody wrong, it has to start with humility. Reconciliation requires vulnerability. He thought he was going to get killed and he went and faced it. He made himself vulnerable. What I found in my experience as a pastor, people will not get too humble and vulnerable. They'd rather bail. And they're never going to experience the fullness of God. If you continue to move on and move on and move on and try to find the church utopia where there are no problems, you're never going to find it. Learn the lesson. Get it right. Stay. Be reconciled. Forgive your brothers and sisters. It takes humility and vulnerability. And then reconciliation nears completion in forgiveness. We're we're really close when we find out that Esau has forgiven Jacob. We're getting there. We're getting close to reconciliation. And then reconciliation is finished in restitution. You see, there was wrong that was done. There was wrong that was done. Esau got wrong. He, he did. And Jacob attempted to make it right. He tried to make restitution. I, I love that, by the way. I, again, this, this story is one of my favorite in Scripture. And I'm kind of a geek about it. But I really love, can I read these two verses to you? Here's these two brothers who've hated themselves their whole lifetime. One that wanted to kill his brother, one that was scared he was going to get killed the whole time. And when they finally come together, it was all over the inherit. It was all over a blessing. Everything that is a problem with these two is that they wanted to be blessed by God. They really wanted to bless a, a life of blessing. And after years of hate and anguish and bitterness, laying awake at night, not being able to sleep, thinking about my brother's coming to kill me. Or if I can see that little brother, I'm going to kill him. After a lifetime of that, in verse 9, Esau, after Esau was handed over camels and goats and pheasants and whatever else, Jacob threw his way. Esau looks at him and says, I have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And then in verse 11... Jacob's pleading with him to take it. And he says, got to take it because God has given me so much. I have all that I need. At the end of the story, we find out that both boys have been living a blessed life. Both of them had everything that God could offer them. They've been fighting and angry over nothing. God blessed them both. Neither one of them had a need. Neither one of them had a need. I guess the only need they had was to forgive and reconcile and be free. That's the beauty of it. And you notice at the end, Esau said, I'll accompany you. They leave together. Everybody say together. God's greatest goal for us is that we would live in forgiveness and reconciliation with our brother and sister. That all leads me to a couple things. I know it's time. The true narrative knowing we've been forgiven leads to healing and forgiveness forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing but if you know forgiveness you have a start on being able to be forgiven and then there's a Jesus narrative you've been forgiven for so much more than you will ever be called on to forgive that's Matthew 18 21 that's the king the king who goes out and settles debts and he sees his servant that owes him millions of dollars in today's money millions of dollars and the guy cries and says, I'll never be able to pay it back. Please forgive me. And the king says, okay, I'm, I'm in a good mood today. I'm just going to wipe that debt out. I'm going to pardon it. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. Millions of dollars, gone. And then that very day, that same guy who was forgiven millions sees a guy walking by who owes him $1,000. And he finds him and he grabs him and he grabs him by the neck and he shakes him and chokes him. And he says, you better give me my $1,000. Throw him in jail. And he gets him thrown into jail for 1000 1000 bucks. On the same day, he was forgiven a million dollars. The king finds out, and he goes and grabs that guy, and he throws him in debtor's prison forever. That's Jesus' narrative on forgiveness. How serious God takes this whole aspect of forgiven people, forgive. Hurt people, hurt people. Forgiven people, forgive people. Ten guidelines for reconciliation. I won't go long on this. Be honest about your motives. If there's going to be healing in the body of Christ, two parties need to meet. Forgiveness needs to be given. And then over time, we need to be honest about our motives. Are we meeting to really reconcile? Or are we meeting just to rehash the hurt feelings? Because that's typically what my meetings end up being about. Be humble in your attitude. You can't go into reconciliation with pride as your number one motive. <laughs> Be prayerful about the one who hurt you. Begin praying. If someone has hurt you and there's non-forgiveness, pray. Pray for God's best for that person. Begin praying that person every day. God will melt that unforgiveness away. Four, be willing to admit ways you might have contributed to the problem. Oh, this is hard. When someone's hurt you, you don't want to give an inch. You don't want to really say, well, I did contribute to this a little bit. But they're the skunks. That's what we want to do, right? We want to. What I did was nothing. What they did was everything. No, no. Be willing to admit your part. Five. Be honest with the offender. Be honest. Whew, one of the worst things in a meeting for reconciliation was two parties quickly say it's okay, it's okay, everything's fine, everything's fine, and I'm like, no, it's not. You're both lying. There's been a problem for a long time here, and you're going to get here face to face and just say, oh, it's, 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 it's. no, no. Be honest. Be honest with what's really happening. Be objective about your hesitancy. If there's restitution that needs to be made, be honest about that. tell them exactly here's why I'm hesitant to reconcile this relationship to be restored to you there's things that need to be made right and I believe highly that this is very important Esau and Jacob tells us that there needs to be an attempt to make restitution sometimes that restitution is simply to say I was wrong please forgive me that's a good start seven be clear about the guidelines for restoration we need to be clear about that sometimes there needs to be some things that need to happen sometimes somebody might need to go to counseling or somebody might need to go to healing or something that happens that they need taken care of eight be alert to Satan's schemes the bible says don't give satan a foothold because this is where satan gets a foothold this is it guys this is one of the big ones for the church for the good and beautiful community it's only good and beautiful if we will listen and not let satan win hate it when satan wins nine be mindful of god's control God's in control. Esau and Jacob both lived a blessed life, and they ended up having more than they could ever need. God's got this. God's got this. And ten, be realistic about the process. Forgiveness can be given instantly. Reconciliation might take time, and be honest about that. Work through that. I was listening to a rabbi talk this week, and he was telling the person who was interviewing him about one of the uh, things that the jews do in their many banquets and things festivals in one of the festivals they're they're going through the 10 plagues that happened remember when they were slaves and god sent the plagues and he said what we do at some point is we spill a little wine and it's supposed to represent our tears It was funny, the interviewer didn't even know what the 10 plagues was referring to, and the guy had to kind of explain. These were our enemies. These were our captives. They were imprisoning us. But then God sent plagues on them, and the plagues were horrendous. And it's not until we can feel their pain that forgiveness and reconciliation can begin. What a beautiful thing in that ceremony when the Jews would pour out a little wine, their tears over the pain of their enemy feeling the pain of their enemy. It's not until you feel the pain of the one who hurts you that reconciliation really happens. I know we live out of our pains most often, but God would have us to understand and understand the heart of the other person. I'd have the team come and close us with that song, that original song they had sang today. It's going to be a good one. I enjoy that song. But use this time. I'd encourage you to worship Or also think, is there somebody I need to offer forgiveness to? Is there somebody that I need to begin the process of reconciliation with and restore this relationship? That's the highest, the highest goal, the end goal of all situations. And then I end my message today reminding you what I said earlier. This sermon's not meant to make you go home with more pain than you came with. If I've done that, I apologize. I don't want you living with this burden because this kind of a burden of forgiveness and reconciliation is so hurtful, you don't need a pastor piling it on, making it worse. I hope these will be tools that you could use to get to where you're better. That's my prayer. And if there are things happening in your life, like a family situation, again, I'm talking about the family of God. When we come together, we as brothers and sisters, but if there's something happening in a marriage relationship or a family relationship, Please, if you need something, come talk to us. Let us help you. Let us get counseling if counseling's needed, but please don't live in that. There's freedom out there. There's freedom and there's hope, and that's God's best for you. Let me pray. Father, I pray a blessing on all these today. What a difficult subject, not one that's fun to talk about because of the pain associated with it. There's always pain when there's forgiveness and reconciliation needed, and so God, this is a A high calling for us is the forgiven ones to be forgivers, the reconciled ones to have the ministry of reconciliation. God, put it upon our hearts, guide us in this direction. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.